Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. We are continuing in our series from the book of John. And so I asked you last week, what do you believe to be the most important verse out of the Gospel of John? What the purpose of the book of the Gospel of John? And it is... It's not John 3.16. It's John 20 verse 31. Say with me, it is... Oh my goodness, you've got as much conviction as a, as a four-year-old girl being locked up to go to prison. Say it with me, John 20 verse 31. Right, now repeat after me. Repeat after me. <laughs> Is it up there? Thank you, Melina. But these are written... So that you may continue to believe that and why, why? This is the purpose of the writing of the Gospel of John. And even in your Bible, you might have the words purpose. This is why he wrote it. That you may, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You continue to believe. That's a key there, folks. Now, I know that's in the NLT, but I think it kind of like blows it up a little bit more. That you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in his name, you may have life. And I like it, life and power through his name. The only way you're going to get life, folks, real life, unadulterated life and power is in the name of Jesus. And before you get out of bed in the morning, you say, Jesus, thank you for today. And before you close your eyes, say, Jesus, thank you for today. I thank you for the name of Jesus that's above every other name. John writes these things so that we can continue to believe. Why did he write that? He's an old man. I think he was probably about 90. He's an old man. And he, he writes these things because through his life, he could see how that some have fallen away. And I have seen and been surprised by those who have fallen away from the faith. Absolutely gobsmacked. He writes so that you continue to believe. John writes from a different perspective that the other three Gospels write from. He writes to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He writes so that we can believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that He is God, that He is Creator, that all things are held together by His power and His might. He writes these things so that we can be encouraged and have faith, so that we can walk through this life as short as it is, 70, 80, 90 years, 100, I'm believing for 105. That's my confession. I am believing for it. But do you know what? 
This is what the Bible says about our life. Our life is like a vapor that appears upon a mirror and then is gone. You go home and breathe on the mirror at home and see how long it lasts. In a twinkling of an eye, folks, that's what our life is. Why would we not continue to believe? Because we allow things to get into our heart like little worms and that little snake to get into our heart and deceive us. That's what happens. And John writes these things so that you may believe that he is the Messiah, the one who has truly come for mankind, the one who laid down his life for us. His words are life. I want you to consider, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, the first miracle. The first miracle that Jesus did was what? Water into wine. Do you know what we call that? That is a creative miracle. In the book of Genesis, if you read in the first chapter, it said that the earth was formless and without void and the waters covered the deep. It was all there. And what did God do? God spoke his word and creation came. There's no record of Jesus speaking water into wine, but I think he might have. The creative word. And we can see that John is revealing to us truly the Messiah, the Son of God. He spoke and therefore it was. And there was water into wine. He's revealing to us that he is a creator. That he, he can take something that really is nothing hydrogen, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, that is, that is important, yes, but he can change it into wine. I wonder how good was that wine? It was so good that the guy who was there, who had been to obviously the MC of the wedding said, man, you have saved the best to last. And I tell you what, in your life today, he is saving the best to now. Right now. So, we will continue to believe. But what does John point out for us now as we move on from that? The next part is the unfolding that Jesus is the Messiah. And he goes into Jerusalem and into the temple. Let's have a look at the next verse where we continue on in our series. It is John chapter 2, verse 13. Now look at this. It said, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem. He set out. Now before we read any more of the portion of Scripture we're looking at this morning, I really want to give you some interesting facts, set the background of what is happening. Because we can gloss over something so quickly and think, oh, Jesus went up to the Passover to Jerusalem. Huh. You know, we need to remember that the last recorded time that Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Passover was when he was a little boy. Now, a lot of people, as in commentators, believe that Jesus probably went every year, but we only have that reading of when he was a little boy and when he was at the temple and he was debating with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he was confounding them with his wisdom. And he says this to his mother after they've been searching for him for three days. Can you imagine searching for a child for three days, pulling your hair out? It would be a little bit tense. And she says, what are you doing here? And he says those wonderful words. Surely I must be about my father's business. I'm in my father's house. This is where I belong. This is my place. 
But it said that he was obedient to her and he went and did his own thing. But now he comes, not as a child, but as a man, and he steps into the first time of his ministry, folks. This is the first time that he comes in his ministry that God has called him to. And he comes into that town, into the city, the city of God, Jerusalem. And this is what it is like. Let me paint you a picture so you understand. Normally, there's about 600,000 people who live in this city. We know this from Jewish historian Josephus who gives us all this incredible information. But at the time of Passover, it swells this city to four times the size. It goes from 600,000 to about 2.5 million, up to 3 million people. Can you imagine the roads out here swelling four times as much as you're trying to get across this bridge to get home? Either way, it would just be incredible. Or if you travel to work on the train or on the bus, four times the amount of people. There is absolutely bedlam taking place in the city. And there's people, 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 people. And Jesus is walking through the crowds and he's, and he's walking to the temple. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Two and a half million at least. But, there is also the animals that are which to be sacrificed. Josephus also records that approximately a quarter of a million animals were sacrificed yearly. 250,000 cows and sheep and doves. And, and it's just nuts. It's like Eka on the public holiday, if you've ever dared to venture in. It, people everywhere. It's crazy. It's like trying to get out of Lang Park, you know, when there's been a state of origin. And it's packed to the hills. People are standing like this. And there are animals and there's noise. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. You see, because it's in the heart of every Jewish person to at least go once to Jerusalem to partake of the Passover. That was the big thing in the heart of the person. Oh, I just if I could be at the Passover, it would be fantastic. And they would come from countries and nations from miles and miles around. But if you lived within the radius of 15 miles of the city of Jerusalem, it was your responsibility. It was demanded on you. It was put on you that you would have to attend the Passover regardless. 15 mile radius. I'll try and probably build 15.1, you know. Just to be on the... Sorry. This is amazing how people become so kind of like religious when things are like that. So there's thousands, millions of people. Can you imagine what it would be like to, to be on Airbnb to try and find a place? Or to line up at McDonald's in Jerusalem? Oh my goodness. Impossible, impossible, impossible. A quarter of a million animals. They would start sacrificing at 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. How are we going to do that? Someone says, I've got an idea. Let's create a tax. A temple tax. Let's make that every male who is 19 years old and over pay a tax. And that's what they did. How old are you? I'm 18 and three quarters. They were to pay the equivalent of two days work. To be able to go to the house of God, to sacrifice to God, to worship God. 
they would have to pay in either the Galilean shekel or the temple shekel. Because they would not accept in the temple money from foreign nations. Because if it had the inscription of Caesar on it, we cannot render that unto God. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to God. So they had money changes. And these money changes were just out to the side. Well, here's an opportunity. Money changes. Extortion. They would charge, now some say between 12 and 20% of a rate of exchange. Where this took place, we know it to be the Gentile court, but do you know what it was end up being called? The Bazaar of Annas, the high priest. The Bazaar of Annas. And so people would come and they would have to deal with the money changers who were ripping them off. Two days wage just to get money so that I can go and pay for an animal. So they thought, we'll bring our own animals. Oh, I've got an idea. Let's make sure that we have to inspect the animal to make sure that it is perfect without spot and blemish. So they would have to take it to a priest who was part of the system. And the priest would look at the animal and go, mm-mm, uh-uh, it's got a spot on it, we can't accept it. But this is my loved one that I've cherished from, for, for the last few years to come so I can sacrifice to God to show him how much I love him. Can't do it, sorry. Oh, but by the way, at the moment we have a special. We have some of our own lamb, own sheep, own cattle. Do you know how much more they were than what they were supposed to be? 15 times more. So if a sheep was worth $100, they would charge $1,500. And then they just got pounded by the money exchanges for 12 to 20%. And all a person wants to do is come and worship God. So let's read on. Let's go to the next verse. So think about that. Millions of people, animals, sound, smell, all taking place, bartering with money. Annas, the high priest, watching on. And Jesus comes. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So what did he do? Jesus made a whip. Now I want you to think about this. They are in the Gentiles' court. Instead of being on the outside of the court where a Gentile could come and worship and pray and seek God, in quietness and in reflection, there is cattle, there is sheep, there's money exchanges. There, there is so much bedlam going on that you couldn't even come and sit quietly 
to go to the one true God. And you know what would happen? From time to time, there would be fighting and insurrection inside the Gentiles' court. But you know what the Romans did? The Romans built a barrack and it was called Antonio's Barrack that was right beside the temple, high above the temple courts, and they could look down and see what was going on. And historically, there were many times there were absolute riots taking place. Well, this day, in the Gentiles' court, with the money changers, with the cattle, these Roman soldiers are looking down. And here is a man, a single man. Now think about this. There are approximately 3,000 people in this court. And what did Jesus do? As he sees the children of God wanting to come and worship and praise him and offer that which they hold dear to their heart, having been ripped off, probably just exasperated by it all, he makes a whip out of cords. Jesus made a whip from some of the ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle and scattered the money changers, coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Wow. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he said, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. That's from Psalm 69 verse 9 where, where it's reported that David said their insults, they've fallen on me because of my passion for the house of God. Is it any wonder that Jesus would be absolutely infuriated Infuriated with these people. Madness must have grabbed his heart for a split second. Anger, righteous anger, stopping people from worshipping God. But here's the question. What does this have to do with us? What does it have to do with us today? There is no longer a temple. We have become the temple. We are to keep the temple clean. We have become the temple. They had turned the house into a place of nothing more than a shop. You know what? Throughout the Old Testament, we read by the prophets, they say this. God speaking, they say, God says, I hate your sacrifices. I hate your, your new moon festivals. I hate them. I hate them. Right throughout the minor prophets, God is expressing to these people. Why? Because of the hypocrisy that was taking place. Not just the hypocrisy of the priests, but the hypocrisy of the people. Because their heart was not true to the one and true living God. He said, 
I hate them. They mean nothing to me because they mean nothing to you. Wow. That's a, that's a big deal. Bringing worship to God and it means nothing to you. God is not fooled by us one iota. You know the, the most important commandment? Just, just the first one. I mean, if we could just do the first one right. Just the first one. Don't worry about all the rest. Just the first one. You know what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Just love Him. That's what it is for us today. Just love Him. When we come to the house, and I, this morning, our worship, your heart was there, worshiping God. I do not doubt that. This is not a judgment call on our worship. What it is, is to make us aware of what God need, what we need to know, what's important to God. Jesus couldn't stand the hypocrisy of the priests. Annas' bazaar, that's what they called it, because he was ripping the people off. Priests taking advantage of people of God. I have seen in my lifetime, as short as it is, pastors taking advantage of people. Pastors taking advantage of property and selling them, folks. Churches being sold for profit. I tell you what, I shake in my boots. I shake in my boots. I would hope that you would pick up stones and give it to me if I ever did that. Our heart has to be for the heart of God. Settled on Him. Loving Him. I know that this is just a building. This is not the temple of God. You are the temple of God. That's what the scripture says. We are the temple. We are the temple, the true temple of God. Listen to what the scripture says. He says that in Acts 17 verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. He lives in the heart of men and women. And corporately we become the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says this, Do you not realize that all of you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? He lives in you. See, it's the motive that God is interested in. It's the motive. Let us never get to that stage. Ever. Ever. When we come through that door, our motive should be, I am going to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and strength. I am going to worship Him. You know, David said that, and you know, he, he got so filled of wanting to worship God, he just took off his shirt and said, glory to God. Now, I'm not taking off my shirt, and everyone said, you're welcome. But you know what? He didn't even care. Just, I want to be in his presence. Why is it important for us? To realize what is important. Our sacrifice, 
our sacrifice to God. You know, we come with and we are living sacrifices. Give everything that you've got to Him. And just as this morning, as, as we came and we, it's almost like we broke into that place of freedom and peace. You know, one of the great things that you can do for yourself every week is to break bread. And use that to recalibrate your heart to God. Where does judgment begin? Scripture tells us it begins in the house of God. We are to rightly judge ourselves. And I don't think it's just our actions. I think it's our motive. Why we do the things that we do. So this morning, we're going to take a few moments to break bread together. To take the time to stop. Why don't you just dim the lights just a little bit for me, Vicky? If you're with us online, please get ready to break bread with us. And the only reason I'm dimming the lights, it just gives us a kind of like just the ability just to be a little bit more reflective. I want you to think about Jesus this morning. I don't want you to think about your problems. I just want you to think about him. I just want you to think about when you asked him to come and live in your life, in your heart. You know, that moment, wherever you were, where he, he broke through and you experienced, you experienced his love and his joy and his peace. And that acceptance of knowing that you are loved. Oh, there's a lightness to that. You know, before we partake, it says, let us examine ourselves. Examine yourself. Ask yourself, what's my motive? What's my heart? Where am I at? What's in, what's in the focus? What's, what's the purpose? What am I about? And God created you to connect with Him and to find that freedom and the power in the name of Jesus. So we're going to sit quietly just for a short time. And I want you to think about him. Think what he's done for you. That which I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. And on the night that Jesus was, was together with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. 
And this wine represents the cup, the cup of the blood that is shed for you. Let us examine ourselves thoroughly. Let us never forget what he's done for us. We thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, that you give us salvation freely. And we call upon you, O God, to search our heart, to see if there would be anything in us that is not right. And Lord, we confess that which is wrong. We confess our sin and we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin. We set our heart right to you. Let everything we do be done for the glory and honor of God. Let's eat and drink this morning in remembrance of him, proclaiming his death until he comes again. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. See, this was Passover time. This is a time of reflecting for the people that were coming out of slavery and bondage and they're moving into freedom. And Jesus turns up and he sees all this going on and he's just riled. And there are people in the Gentiles' court. You know, the Jews believed that the Messiah would come and free them from the tyranny of the Gentiles. Jesus came and freed the Gentiles from the tyranny of the Jew. And that's why God loves the world. Because it doesn't matter if you are Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. You're all equal to God. That's the power of the work of Jesus. How cool is that? Let us never forget what we're about. We're sharing the good news. I encourage you, every opportunity that you get, always give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Let's read on. Jesus shows he is the Messiah by zeal, Psalm 69, verse 9. Let's go back to this. So Jesus has chased out literally 3,000 people with cords. I can imagine the Romans looking down from their barracks going, check this out. Seriously, that's what they did. They would look down to see if there was trouble. And he's chasing, one man's chasing 3,000 to fly. Whipping the living daylights and turning tables over. Cows mooing and sheep barring and doves fluttering and the money's rolling on the ground and people are trying to scramble to get the money and they're just looking down and they're laughing. One man against 3,000. 
And who's standing there? Oh, but the Jewish leaders. Listen to this. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Let's stop there. Why did they say that? Well, Jesus is not a priest that has been anointed by, his, by you know, the Levite priests. He's doing something of his own volition. Now, when Moses came to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, the first thing he did was what? Miracle, 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 miracle. And because he was not the leader of the Israelites back then, he had to prove that he was a leader by showing a miraculous sign. So they say to them, if God gave you this authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign. So they weren't being funny. They're saying, okay, if you're from God, prove it. And Jesus says this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, listen to this. This just amazes me. What did Jesus just do? He just chased out 3,000 people with with some rope out of the temple. If that is not a miracle sign, I don't know what is. His disciples see his zeal and straight away their mind races back to Psalm 69 verse 9 and it says, the zeal of my God has consumed me. The insults have fallen on me and they go, this is the Messiah. But they say, show us a miraculous sign to prove that you're from God. And Jesus said, I tell you what, you tear this temple down in three days, I'm going to rebuild it. They had been building this. Listen to this. What they exclaimed, what, what, what? It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? Well, when Jesus said this, he was talking about the temple, he meant his body. It was Herod who started to rebuild the temple. He started rebuilding it. If Jesus is 30 at the beginning of his ministry, which it is, And it's been built for 46 years. Herod started building it in 16 BC. And actually, it had not been completed. And it was not going to be completed to 63 AD. There were still many things that had to take place. And in fact, in AD 70, guess what happens? The temple is destroyed completely and never rebuilt again. He says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. The great sign. They wanted miraculous signs and they saw his zeal and they saw what he had done chasing them out. Later on, Jesus would say this, and this is so important for us, a perverse and a wicked generation looks for a sign. We have signs following us. We are not looking for signs. Signs follow us. We don't look for them. Past tense. 
not present tense. And if we see a sign, praise God. But you know what? What did John write? What was the purpose? But these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have power and life in his name. Because Jesus knew they would want sign after sign after sign after sign after sign after sign. And he was raised from the dead. And his disciples remembered he had said this. And they, what? Believed both the scriptures and what Jesus said. Wow. Our responsibility is to continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the way that we do that is we get his word and we stick it in our heart. And when we stick his word in our heart, you know what happens? It stops us from sinning against him. And then we can love him. Let's never stop loving him. Let's, let's just continue to love him. Because he is the truth. He is the way. He is the absolute life. And if you don't know Jesus in the reality of that, you know what you need to do? You need to get desperate and say, God, reveal Jesus to me. Reveal Jesus to me. Reveal Jesus to me. And if you are honest, if you are genuine, if you search for all, with all your heart, you will find him. Because he has never, ever not answered that prayer. Why are these things written? So that we continue to believe that he is the Messiah. And he just showed it. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.